0: Every obscure idea that eventually went on to become a global phenomena from Christ to CrossFit went through the exact same four stages. Audience, community, movement, religion. The most enduring ideas, they're based on human-to-human connection, not on technologies or products. Technologies come and go. Until we live in a world where robots are buying from robots, the power of people working with people will exist If you build a community, you won't become a commodity. Brands of yesterday were built on what they told the world about themselves and brands of the future will be built on what the people, the community says about them. The last time
1: I met Lloyd Lobo, I learned so much and we ended up a conversation and some things that uh, stick to my mind was the sustainability of, of growth how your mental health should meet your business goals. And I was impressed by that. And I'm even more impressed now because now we are not talking only, we are reading and we are reading the book which he wrote. Mm -hmm. Hello, Lloyd, and really nice to see you again.
0: Great to see you, man. Thanks for rolling out the red carpet when I moved to Dubai. You've been a great friend and supporter. The world needs more of you, Ivan.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. And obviously, when, when people read this book, they will understand that the world needs more, more people like you. And I really, I have to, I, I'll I be very honest. Uh, when we met, we were discussing this mental health slash meeting people slash community slash uh, passing the knowledge. And everything now is in the book from grassroots uh, to greatness. And uh, how did all came out, this thing
0: about the book? Definitely, you know, there's two sides of the story here. So I always wanted to write a book as a gift to my mom. So this story dates all the way back to 2008. You know, after I graduated university, in Canada. I went to the US. My wife was in medical school there. She's a bright, bright doctor. And a lot of what I am today is because she believed in me. She got into med school in second year of undergrad without entrance exams. Super smart. Now, I've only ever worked for startups after I finished university. My first job was in cold calling in Canada. Then I applied for a visa to the US, ended up in another startup there. 2008 recession hit. The company I was at shut down. Now, that was weeks away from my wedding in India. We're all there. Maybe a 500 people or so were showing up in India for this wedding. I had a bridal party of 26 people, 13 groomsmen, 13 bridesmaids, and a lot of them from US, UK, Middle East flew in there. I ended up spending my honeymoon in Thailand with my best man.
1: Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah that's a plot twist.
0: That is a plot twist. So what happened was two days before the wedding my wedding gets called off. Um my parents live in Toronto and I could sense something weird is happening, right? Sometimes the energy in the environment says things are going to go south, man. My parents due to the snowstorm missed the flight to Mumbai and the wedding was down south in Mangalore. They missed the flight to Mumbai. Finally, they took the flight to Mumbai, but it was Christmas time. December 27th was the wedding. So they had to take a bus from Mumbai to Mangalore. The bus breaks down midway. Wow. They are now rolling in a safari Jeep to this villa we're staying at in Mangalore. They walk in and it's my wife's parents with my wife saying, this wedding is not going to happen. We don't think he's the right fit for our daughter You know, our daughter is super smart. She got into medical school in second year of undergrad. He's not serious in life. right? He's always joking. He's fooling around. Basically, the message to my mother came across as he will amount to nothing. There were lots of people there. It was chaos, right? And you know... um, when there's negative energy, one thing leads to the other and it just exasperates and it explodes, right? It, it, you know, there's a thing or two that we say bad news spreads faster than yeah. good news. Good news stop right there. Yeah. Bad news just perpetuates and perpetuates. And my mom was shattered. And that day she asked me one question. Did I make a mistake leaving my career to stay at home and raise you? Did I not give you the values? Did I raise you wrong that you'll amount to nothing? That one question drove my entrepreneurial journey throughout. And so fast forward, a couple startups failed, did an events company, the co-founder ran away with all the profits, had to sue him, walked away with nothing. Ups and downs, right? You've faced it, entrepreneurial journey. Everybody faced it, yeah. yeah. As soon as you go up, something drags you down. Finally, in 2020, we had a great outcome with Boost. We sold half the company to a growth equity fund. Me and my co-founder went from zero to making millions, st- still maintain about 40% of the company, moved to the board. And a bunch of things happened in my life since then, right? I ended up depressed after that incident. And I felt lost because my identity was tied to this company. Nonetheless, I never had the opportunity to really sink in that, hey, I went from, you know, nothing to finally making some money. It didn't feel like a win because after that incident, I got COVID and almost died. The company ended up hiring 100 people or so. I left the day-to-day operation. So one thing after the other. And I feel like I never really answered my mom's question that did I make a mistake giving up my career to raise you? This book is closure to that question that hey, your son may not have a master's degree. You know, I didn't finish high school. I I, and I finagled myself into engineering. That's that's another story to go into. (laughs) I may not have a master's degree. I may be this jokey, trolling, bumbling idiot, but I wrote a book, and the world is reading it. So my goal with this book is to make it a bestseller. We're going for the Wall Street Journal bestseller campaign, and copy one, hard copy one of the bestseller book is for mom. Closure that you didn't make a mistake giving up your career to raise me because her friends ended up as VPs and executives of different companies. You didn't make a mistake to raise me. Your son wrote a book that some of the smartest people in the world are reading.
1: And then uh, the book is called From uh, Grassroots to Greatness. That's one thing. And... In the book, you say you you want to show to the world and show to your mother and answer that question to your mother. But still, you're not talking about the money you have at your bank account. You're not talking about business uh, uh, success, your business success. You're talking, obviously, but uh, you're also talking about the
0: communities. Exactly. And this is the greatness in this book. Exactly. So, you know, I like I said, I always wanted to write a book as a gift. I didn't have the subject. I didn't have the subject. And in my time of depression, I actually found the subject. So the topic is near and dear to my heart. The book is based on communities and building communities to drive long-term sustainable brands. As I researched and looked behind the scenes of some of the most iconic brands that I've endured the test of time, I rewatched all our traction content over the last several years, talked to a thousand plus leaders. I found something very interesting. Every small obscure idea that eventually went on to become a sustainable global phenomenon from Christ to CrossFit, that's a big statement. (laughs) Every obscure idea that eventually went on to become a global phenomenon from Christ to CrossFit, went through the exact same four stages. People listen to you, you have an audience. When you bring that audience together to interact with one another, it becomes a two-way communication. You now have a community. What's interesting is when that community comes together to create impact towards a greater purpose, far greater than your product or profit, it becomes a movement. And when that movement has undying faith in its purpose through sustained rituals, over time, it becomes a cult or a religion. Audience, community, movement, religion. But you know, a lot of influencers today, they have audiences. The key driver in turning your audience into a movement or a cult-like brand or a religion is that community, is bringing people together. Loneliness is the number one killer in America. As I also researched, I found the concept of blue zones. These are the five places in the world where people live functionally until 100. Functionally is important because longevity without functionality doesn't make any sense. Now, these communities have nine traits that give them the qualities and the ability to live sustainably, functionally until they're 100. Four or five out of those traits have to do with community. And so this topic of community was really important to me. But I got to go back in my childhood. So my parents were born in India. And they weren't very educated. My dad was a farmer in southern India. My mom lived in the slums of Mumbai. And back then, when people weren't educated, they didn't have the opportunity to go to the West. So their opportunity was what? Come to the Middle East because the money translates a lot higher to Indian rupees. And so they moved to Kuwait, and they were working there. Now, because they couldn't afford it, we didn't have summer vacations like go to Europe or some fancy place. They got My dad got free tickets, round trip home, like we do in yeah. Dubai every year. So we went to India. And so my summers as a child were spent in the slums of Mumbai. My mom had nine siblings, parents, and this little house that was maybe the size of this room or smaller. right? Um, smaller than this room no no washroom in the house and 10 kids living there now and my fondest childhood memories were in that house it was like four rawish walls with an aluminum roof and i just loved being there man watching tv was communal because not every house had a tv but my mom lived in kuwait so she could get a tv for the family and people are hanging by the grills and watching tv once a week kind of thing When you cook a little extra, you share it with the neighbors. We're playing and running around in each other's house, running through the gullies. And it would rain, monsoon season. And puddles would turn into ponds and we'd be swimming in there. Even going to the bathroom, Ivan, was communal. But you know what would happen every August when I had to go back to Kuwait? I would grab my parents' feet and cry and be like, listen, I don't want to go back. Fast forward a few years, Kuwait was hit by a Gulf War. I wake up one morning, my mom says, You can't go to school. The Gulf War has been hit. And my first reaction as a child is, yes, I don't have to go to school, right? It's exciting. Yeah, yeah. But when the worry shows on their face, I'm like, okay, there's something serious here, right? You're a nine-ish-year-old kid. We go down the building that day, and I witness something marvelous. In 2023, like I said, bad news festers, right? How does social media keep you on their platforms? by bad news. Have you ever been in a conversation where good news and somebody shares good news and you're discussing it for hours? It almost never happens. But when it's bad news, you discuss and discuss and it turns into new monsters. But back then, the world was really simple. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. The security had lapsed in the country. I go down the building Rather than belaboring on the problem, people are solving. I'll guard the building from 12 to 6. Somebody else is like, yeah, I'll guard the building from 6 to six to 12 or something. Another person is like, I'll organize food supplies. Somebody else is like, hey, if you have family members displaced, I got extra room in the house. And another person is like, hey, the school is shut. We'll organize some shelter at the school. Every building became a sub-community that communicated with the next building and the next building And it became the largest grassroots evacuation movement that communicated with embassies, that communicated with governments, and evacuated us from Kuwait to Baghdad to Jordan. And then we went to India for a brief bit to safety. And I realized two things that day. One, there's nothing that a bunch of people, a small group of people can't accomplish when they're united by a great purpose. I was, man, I was a kid, and Rambo was huge back then. So I threw a red bandana, and I felt like, you know, I'm a little Rambo. And I felt like I was driving the mission. Nobody once made me feel like an insignificant pest, right? I was running alongside. And I realized that, you know, as I look back and reflect, communities can come together to create massive impact if they're united by a great purpose, And great leaders, great community leaders, great company leaders, they cascade purpose, not just goals. There's an example to this where President Kennedy was walking the halls at NASA. And uh, he sees this janitor sweeping the floor at midnight and he says, what are you doing (laughs) at this hour? And the janitor is like, sir, I'm putting a man on the moon. Now think about that, right? That purpose, Purpose, how it hits. It hits the, the lowest common denominator, like me, where I felt like, I'm a little Rambo and I'm rescuing Kuwait from the war. The second thing it taught me, which I didn't realize back then, but it gave me the drive for entrepreneurship. So when you look at entrepreneurship today, it's all about making money. But that's not what the entrepreneurial spirit is. The entrepreneurial spirit is about (laughs) taking this idea that's obscure, that's small. At whatever cost. At whatever cost. And taking it to execution and impact while dealing with extreme risk, uncertainty, and ambiguity. No better or bigger risk than a war, right? And so that day, as we were leaving Kuwait a few months later, from Kuwait to Baghdad to Jordan, and we're on this highway of death now. You can Google search, and you'll see buses were bombed and everything. The adults, their currency is invalid. They don't know if they're going to go to Kuwait. They've lost their homes. No phones, no internet. They should have been crying. I witnessed this this great marvel, which is they're singing and they're playing the guitar and they're laughing. And as I reflect back, I realize because to this day, I I truly believe in it, that it's not the destination or the journey. It's the companions that matter the most. You could be on a crappy journey on the way to hell, but great companions make it memorable. (laughs) You know this, right? I mean, you live in Dubai. You've been around the world. You might have been in a situation where either you're on a private jet or you're sipping champagne amongst really wealthy people. But you're like, I just want to leave. Has that happened to you, Ivan?
1: Of course it happens uh, and not, not only that but uh, I don't want to take the limelight today but uh, uh, I come from Serbia and Serbia uh, during my uh, uh, period we had several wars and which uh, Novak Djokovic just mentioned winning the US Open you know like uh, and we are war torn country and I remember in 1999 where we were bombed by NATO uh, you know like how we got together and how we how unified we were Every time that some disaster happens, you know, floods or earthquake or something, you know, like there the are people helping people, no matter which uh, uh, which color of skin you are, which uh, religion you are, wh- what are your political uh, stand? What is your political stand? Whatever, people unite. And the, 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 I remember one show when we were kids, and it's it's become epic. It's a, it's kids show. Like uh, th- th- this guy, very famous uh, in my country, goes to the kindergarten, brings some kids and l- l- teach them some uh, lessons. And then then he t- take one, uh, one straw and break it very easily. And then he takes two straws, break it a little bit harder, three, five. Uh, when he has a bunch of straws, he couldn't break it. And this is what I was uh, uh, telling people all the time, you know, like, if we unite, nobody can break us ever, you know. And this is actually what was the base of and foundation of your book.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, how I came on that subject was a number of incidents that led me um, to this. But so carrying on from that story, the Gulf War, fast forward a few years, I ended up in Canada. I wanted to go into entrepreneurship. Something was driving me. I got into engineering finagled myself into engineering Mm -hmm. because I didn't finish my high school diploma Mm -hmm. and I started applying to university. One university says, Hey, um, we're waiting for your transcripts, but write the entrance exam. So I wrote the math and English passed it. They're like, we need to see your transcripts. but why don't you start the semester? If you don't send the transcripts, then you can't continue. Luck would have it that they never followed up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I finished with a software engineering bachelor's of software engineering degree with no high school diploma. Finished, I didn't want to, man, I just didn't want to do this, like sit behind the desk nine to five. There's something that was driving me, and as I reflect back, it was that, that desire to deal with uncertainty while taking an idea to impact. And so I asked around to people, hey, what's the best skill I could learn if I wanted to be an entrepreneur? They said communication is everything. You're an awkward engineer. You can't even talk. You better improve your communication skills. But from convincing your spouse that you want, you're want, you not going to bring money to convincing customers to employees, investors, it's all communication. So I asked, hey, what could I do to improve this? And, you know, people give you all kinds of advice, go to Toastmasters and this and that. But the thing is, you know, I'm not super self-motivated. I think self-motivation is really hard for 95% of the people. Self-motivation is not... I wake up every day to go to the gym when the conditions are perfect. Self-motivation is when the conditions are not perfect. When you're repeatedly beat down, you get up and you pick yourself up and you show up. That is self-motivation. That is very hard, especially for a young kid finishing university. So I said, you know what? how about I put myself in an environment that forces me to communicate day in, day out. If you, if you're horrible at something, put yourself in a situation (laughs) that you have to do that something day in, day out. So I started applying to sales jobs. No one, no one would give me a sales job. Of course, awkward engineer. Why do you even want a job in sales? This is 2005. I finally get a job doing cold calls for a startup. Okay. Um, They had probably no option. I got paid next to nothing. I took that job. The first call, I think I practiced four hours. And when the decision maker came on the phone, I hung up. And everyone is laughing. (laughs) But nonetheless, I was in the situation. I needed to do this. So I kept doing it day in, day out. But you see, I said, your companions matter the most. I worked for a founder. As a function of working for that founder, my next job, I wanted to move to the US. My wife then girlfriend, was in medical school there. I started applying to jobs there. Luck would have it. I got a job at another startup. We got another startup. In sales, they didn't really have any product quite to sell. So now I land up there on this visa, TN visa, the free trade visa between US and Canada. What I show up for is a sales job, but they say, oh, no, you got to talk to customers and gather their requirements And now, not cold calling over the phone, but meeting in person, big customers, Tiffany, Armani, Simon and Schuster. I'm like, holy crap. Mm. (laughs) But then you got to translate their requirements into what we should build in the product. So communicate with developers, wireframe. Now, wireframing I knew from university anyway. But here's the kicker. You also need to build a marketing website and you need to build the marketing materials. Now, most people would see that uncertainty and quit, right? And they're like, you know, this job is not for me. One, I couldn't quit. I didn't have the liberty because I'm on a visa. <laughs> Two, being with my girlfriend was more important than any amount of risk or uncertainty. So I went on the journey, started talking to people, started listening to audiobooks, videos, etc. I had the opportunity to work alongside a founder again. And that was, that was invaluable. But then I started Google searching now, marketing, sales, and all the content that was coming up was from HubSpot's inbound marketing community. So I started learning and reading and watching the videos on my drives. And that HubSpot's inbound marketing community became my community, became my tribe. And I still remember, man, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, who we fondly call Gary V. He was this chubby little young guy in 2005, had a video on video marketing in that inbound marketing course from HubSpot. And he was so bullish, right? And he kept going on creating videos. He never stopped. And probably the world were saying, what are you talking about? Nobody's going to watch videos for business. And today he's Gary Vee. And so, you know, two lessons come out of there. One is the biggest skills, the most important skills you can learn to be successful at anything are just three, simple. One is communication. Two is creation. And three is consistency. You can be the best communicator and the best creator, but if you don't show up consistently, you'll never build anything successful. From Mr. Beast to Gary Vaynerchuk to who's the single richest person in investing, Warren Buffett. Compound interest on consistency is what we call overnight success.
1: No, that's, that's uh, 100%. And the consistency, as you mentioned before, when nobody would continue, you know, like, uh, it's easy to be consistent when you are focused, you know, like you, you, uh, uh, everything is right, whatever. Showing up is what matters. And this is, Uh, when we are discussing with people about uh, uh, media and communication, you know, outreach, whatever, you you know, like you have to be there for your audience. Yeah, having podcast is a must in today's world, I would say. But also showing up every day and sharing some value for your audience, for your community is amazing, even if you don't have that community. Even I, I remember the first guy who liked my videos on LinkedIn, I remember the first people who commented on my first videos, you know, and they're still with me, you know, after so many years. I would say and months and whatnot. So, so the point is, and you cannot go down uh, uh, below that.
0: You can only build up, but if you're consistent. Exactly, and so you know, when you start at the grassroots, you can't go below that. You're only going to go up. A lot of people they get psyched out by the audience that's showing up, and they stop, right? And everything great is on the other side of consistency, on the other side of risk and pain. Pain is the precondition for growth. But, you know, as I was going through this journey, I think the universe was conditioning me to these things. Communication, creation, consistency, risk, pain, right? And it shaped me, that journey. The company started to do well, but the 2008 recession hit. And now these companies that were buying big contracts, they stopped renewing, they canceled, projects were on hold. The company ended up going under during the recession. My wedding was called off. And I, and I gave the story of how I promised my mother that, yeah. uh, you know, you didn't make a mistake. I'll prove you. What I jokingly said that day was, don't worry, mom, I will retire at 40. <laughs> <laughs> now 9 months later you know I I I'm sharing all these vulnerable stories as a way to tell the audience that we're all crushing it on social media we're living in an <laughs> Instagram world and if you see me or anyone else on LinkedIn or Instagram it seems like we're crushing it this is a guy who made millions he's chilling in Dubai but that is not the story what i want to bring out is the vulnerability right and so when that wedding was called off I think I partially went crazy in the sense I even told my wife I'm going to retire at 40. And that joke stuck with me. Yeah? So within a few weeks, we went back to the U.S. Common sense prevailed. Eight, nine months later, we ended up getting married. Now, my wife didn't want to plan the wedding. Obviously, she's like, you know, she's like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm in the final year of, of medical school. It's too much stress. I don't want to deal with it kind of thing. So I ended up planning the wedding. Again, I'm thrown in this uncertainty. I've never done an event, let alone for 300, 400 people. And so I'm like, what are my skills that I know? I can communicate. I can negotiate, right? Because from cold calling, you learn how to pivot your messaging. You learn how to polish things, negotiate on the fly. Man, we host a wedding for 350 people at a five-star hotel. And guess what the bill was? (laughs) This is two thousand nine. $10,000 we made profit on our wedding with the with the money we got in gifts oh my god <laughs> negotiating with the vendors it helped that way. my dad was in the hotel business so he had a friend they even let us bring our own alcohol from the alcohol store and they're like whatever is unused return it like i negotiated so well but the wedding was beautiful two bars bartenders dancers everything but the whole wedding cost $10,000 <laughs> and and you know so the skills you learn see life is not about hitting a certain goal it's about the experiences you have that shape you and make you stronger, right? And, and so that happened. And, and through that journey, I kept telling my wife, I know there's going to be a lot of stress. People are going to doubt me that you're making a mistake. You're a bright doctor. She's a Stanford doc. And trust me, I'm going to retire at 40. And I kept saying that and saying that and saying that and saying that. And now, see, I have this HubSpot community. Luck would have it, my best friend from university calls me to do a startup together. And he called me at a time where I was also at a low. I had now progressed from this company shutting down to going to running sales and marketing at another startup. See, again, your yeah. companions startup, matter. Yeah. Another startup. Because what else? You worked at a startup first. You took the second job at a startup. Now you're you're in this world. You're in this world <laughs> yeah. and big companies don't want you. Only, if, but you're indispensable to founders. They're like, oh, they, you've been yeah. at the ground floor. You know sales, marketing. Because when you're a, when you work for a founder at the early stages, you learn more than just the job exactly. at hand. Exactly. You learn everything and the kitchen sink. And you see everything. You see
1: the you ups s- and downs and, and all the things that are going coming in.
0: It's very hard to find people from larger companies who've dealt with the risk and ambiguity. Right. Speed is the currency of all startups. Yeah. And you don't experience that at that level in a larger company because you have resources. So you learn to be resourceful. So now work at work for another founder, working till 9, 10 o'clock. My wife's in residency in Philly and at Drexel, right, West Philadelphia. And I used to work 9, 10. And he used to love it, of course, great vibes, small team. One day I started going home at 6. And after the second day of going home at 6, I get an email Hey, Lloyd, I used to love it when you're in the office till 9, 10. Your wife is in residency working 100 hours a week. What do you need to go home for? You have no family here. (laughs) And what had happened was my parents were visiting from Toronto and they were in town. That's why I was going home at 6. And so that day when I get home, Alex calls me and he's like, I have this startup idea. I want to do something together. Do you want to join me? One, we're very close friends. We're best friends since university. We're partners in every project. My gut reaction was, dude, I'm working for another startup anyway. I may as well do our own thing. And if we can build the company we want to work for, I'm in. And that began the journey of Boast now, right? So I went from this slum community to Gulf War community to HubSpot community to now being in the startup, pure startup community, to now we started Boast. Now, when we started Boast, we're automating something very obscure that most people don't know about. There's hundreds of billions of dollars in government funding, but it's a broken process. We automate that. We started hitting up oil and gas, manufacturing, construction companies, nobody would take our calls. They're like, what, who are you guys? It sounds scammy, right? Give me your data, your technical financial data from your systems, and you'll give me a bunch of money. No equity, no interest. And the people who knew about it were working with big companies. So we kept cold calling and cold calling. And I'm like, dude, this is my superpower, cold calling. It's not working. So I'm like, okay, let's storm the events. So we started going to manufacturing, oil and gas, construction events. And man, I couldn't relate. Didn't feel like our tribe. Nobody would talk to us. We looked like two guys in our 20s who put on a suit jacket on top of hoodies. And they're like the old boys club, (laughs) right? The cigar club. So dejected we started going to startup events. This was now 2012. And when we went to the startup events, we felt like it's our tribe, you know? And you've experienced yeah, this, right? Of course, of course. You, you go somewhere and you're like, ah, I just want to get out of here. And then you go somewhere else and man, you're there till next there, day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a mini Burning Man. So the conversations were great. And because we started the company not in a town we were living in, but Alex's wife was working in Calgary, Canada. And so he was there. So I moved from, from San Francisco to to Calgary, right? At the time when I left this company, my wife took a job at Stanford. So I'm like, you know what? I'll go live with Alex back and forth. We're newly married. You're in residency. I'll do some back and forth. And so these people, the startup community, actually became our friends. They became people we hang out with, eat, breathe, sleep, drink together. We understood their pains. We participated in hackathons. We participated in parties. We had no other friends but startup people. And actually, that taught me a couple of frameworks that I'll tell you. You have an idea, but you don't know who to target. Where do you start? You know, when you're in the thick of things trying to get the right customer, it seems like you're throwing spaghetti on the wall. Yeah. Years later, when you reflect, it looks like, oh, man, this is a great framework. I should tell people. Yeah. So let me tell you about this great framework that was actually spaghetti on the wall, but I realize it now. So you, you don't have an ideal customer, but you want to target somebody. The first step is figuring out do you have a passion for this audience? Do you like this audience? Because building a company, much like creating content or doing a podcast, is a labor of love. It's a marathon of the heart and mind. You gotta keep showing up consistently for years. If you hate your audience, you cannot create for them. Exactly. If you don't have a passion for the topic, you cannot create. The next thing is, is this a small niche, but it's growing? Right? Like you bet on podcasting and now it's exploding, right? Is it a small niche but growing? We focused on the startup community. In 2012, not many people were giving it attention. Our competitors would say, you guys are going to go bankrupt. So my answer to them was, your customers don't want to work with us, and you don't want to serve people like us, so we're left to serve folks like our own. So do you have a passion for this audience, passion to create for them? Is it a small but growing niche? Is it, do they have the propensity to pay because you need to get paid someday? Yeah. And the last one is their ease of access. So ease of access is key. We wanted to chase manufacturing and construction and oil and gas, but there was no ease of access. You go out of business. That was framework one. Framework two, what I realized is understanding your customers really well. As a function of spending time with these founders, we didn't think we were doing this market research. We were just hanging out with friends and having a good time eating, partying together. We understood their pains really well. We understood their goals really well. Now, pains and goals are short-term. What's long-term is aspirations. We understood their aspirations, their long-term aspirations real well and what stood in their way. And one thing came out which actually helped us build a community-led company. So we chanced into this. Now, of course, I had the passion for community, unknowingly, having that DNA growing up. But we saw all the events we went to, every speaker would talk about very high-level stuff. Because, you know, the events at the time were organized by event organizers. They were not founders. And they would bring these CEOs from 50, 100, 200, 300 million dollar companies. And they're sharing high level CEO platitudes, inspiration. Which startups don't give a damn about. (laughs) If I've decided to put my money where my mouth is and leave my job, I don't need inspiration. Yeah, Exactly. I need tactics. And so we kept seeing this and we were like, okay, there's two gaps here. One, all the content around is high-level CEO platitudes. It's not helpful to me or anyone at zero to one. It's not even relatable. I would more likely listen to somebody at 5, 10 million who can walk through the steps. The second thing was the media wouldn't cover any startups. They were not interested. So now, you know, latching on to the third framework here is figure out the white space for the audience. So we found these two white spaces. And I feel very fortunate, Iowan, that we were doing this at a time when LinkedIn wasn't big for content distribution, Instagram, TikTok wasn't there for B2B, podcasting wasn't there for B2B. In today's day and age, we're creating on social media first. Social media gives you an audience. It becomes very hard to turn that audience into a community because you can't access their email addresses. Think about it, right? Any platform, it becomes very hard you to access. You cannot ac- communicate two-way, yeah. You cannot communicate two-way. And like what happened with Nas Daily, with Nasire, is they had a Facebook group for 21 million followers and Facebook changed the algorithm and their content started being seen by now 5% instead of 50%. Their Facebook revenue dropped from 100k to right? It died. A lot of these social platforms, what they do is first they show your content to your followers. Then eventually they got to make money. So they start showing your followers other people's content and then... Or your paid content. Or paid content. And so I didn't have that that challenge. So we started with the community. So what we said was, hey, there's this challenge here. People need tactical content. So we started hosting events. We knew we had a co-working space. So we scraped a list of founders that we knew. And we said, hey, we're bringing Ivan. He's built his company to 5 million in revenue. He's going to talk exactly about how he got the first 100,000 in revenue. And there's 10 spots only because that was the small room at the co-working space and there's going to be free pizza. Pizza at that time was $9.99. We had the unlimited pizza pizza deal. They showed up. They all showed up but we never stopped. We kept hosting these events, hosting the weekly events, weekly. I think one year we hosted 100 events. Now what happened was luck would have it that one day we had the folks from Plug and Play in Silicon Valley come, big incubator. 200 people showed up to the co-working space, man. We had to hijack the aisles in the co-working space. We had to run out and get a makeshift projector. So the guys running the co-working space at the end is like, what are you guys doing? This is not a 10, 20% meetup anymore. You're running a mini conference in the co-working space. They said, you got to get out of here. Now, pain is the precondition for growth and necessity is the mother of all inventions. That turned into the traction conference and... We started doing more bigger events, conferences. And now over time, we've had like the CEOs of Uber, Twilio, Zoho, et cetera, big name folks come to our events. Now, that was the one thing that was like community. But how do I continue to feed the community with new blood, new people coming in? I reached out to the local newspaper and I said, hey, you're not covering startups. Give me a column and I'll cover them. And they said, you know, it's not our priority. So I went to a friend like you, right, local community leader, and I said, you have a blog. Can I blog for you? And in the blog, of course, I have no startup experience, so I couldn't talk about startups, so I covered one or two entrepreneurs, and I shared it. Those guys shared the hell out of it on Twitter. It got hundreds of retweets. I went back to the editor. I'm like, you see what I did for this blog? If I blog for you, your blog, the newspaper blog, will get a completely different audience engaged. It'll, It'll blow up. And he said, fine, I'll give you a blog post. Now I think it's like learning four or five here. Unless you're doing something illegal, as an entrepreneur, always ask for forgiveness. Beg for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're doing something if illegal. If you
0: ask, it's
1: not allowed.
0: It's not it, allowed yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or you will just roll <clears throat> and roll in the system forever. Yeah. So he gave me the blog. I'm like, what can I write on this blog that will get it wide adoption? I can't write about startup founders and everything else because back then blogging was huge in 2012. Neil Patel, Jason Fried, Jason Lemkin, all these people were luminaries who were blogging. Yeah. So I decided to call the column Startup of the Week. Now the social proof of a blog from the local newspaper called Startup of the Week, meaning telling a founder. Every week. You are something and every week. So I covered an entrepreneur who had just raised a small amount of money and he got so excited because it's the first press he got before even TechCrunch covered it. Yeah. I wrote it. He shared it. Now this went even more viral than the first. Everyone was starved. In the community, the message spread that, oh, this guy came like a messiah and he's covering startups. And it blew up, right? It it got maybe a few hundred retweets. And in two days, the editor sends me a message and I'm like, oh, he like, missed calls. Yes. Message, and he's like, call me back. I'm like, ah, man, like, I think this vlog is done. Yeah. He's like, Lloyd, if you commit to writing it every week, I will give you a print column. Whoa. So I wrote that Startup of the Week column for the national newspaper in Canada for three years. And when I stopped, the column stopped. But you know, that column now gave me three things. When you're unknown, you got to follow this path. Visibility, credibility, and profitability. When you're visible, to build credibility, be seen by other people of influence. So bringing the speakers of more influence or more experience gave us credibility. Being in the newspaper gave us instant credibility, especially print, right? There's so many blogs, but when you're in a print column, you're legit. So it gave us that. It created this vibe that it was a column of importance, startup of the week. The third thing what it did was I got a weekly backlink from the blog from the highest domain authority website in the country. So my blog, our website was new, our SEO juice jumped. right? Somebody of yeah. importance is linking to you. The fourth thing what it did was, I put a form in there saying, if you want to be featured, apply here. My database started growing, people started applying. And so it created this boomerang effect. Who would apply, I would invite them to the meetups. They would come, we would meet them in person, online social proof. And the last thing what it did was all these entrepreneurs would go on every Monday at six or seven in the morning to the newspaper stand and buy a bunch of copies, take clippings and share it. So it created this great social proof. And over time, that led me to another framework, which I call the three F's. Who do you fund? Who do you frequent? Who do they follow? To now continue the pipeline of great speakers to speak at the event and great partners to co-host events with and great platforms to distribute on, figure out if you understand your ideal customers, who are the influencers they follow? Write that down. Those are the people you invite to your podcast, to your event. Who do they fund? Meaning what are the tools or services they pay for? Those are the people you invite as sponsors or people you can co-host with. And what do they frequent? Meaning what blogs, magazines they read, what platforms do they hang out on, they're prevalent on. So when you have those lists, then you can dominate the circle of influence for your ideal customers, right? So now if Ivan is my ICP and I know who all are the people you're familiar with and I bring you to an event and you see all of them, you're like, oh, this is my tribe. I'm staying forever. And so over time then, I stopped moderating the sessions at our events. I started inviting TechCrunch, VentureBeat, Forbes, to come and moderate sessions at the event. I'm like, I don't need the stage time. I'm hosting the event. The other thing it helped me realize is this, something that we know from college. If you're in a new place in a small, obscure market or anywhere, if you want to be the cool kid on the block, be the kid that hosts the cool parties. Of course. You're hosting the podcast. (laughs) Everyone knows you. Yeah right? Be the kid. If you're hosting the cool parties, like in college, everyone wants to go to like Ivan's party, Lloyd's party. Oh, there's going to be all this and that activity there. So be the person that hosts the cool party. So those things happen. And over time, we would get a lot of referrals and partners and we grew and grew and grew. Now, 2020 hit and we had a big conference plan. We had to cancel it. And I freaked out. I'm like, we've largely been an event-driven marketing organization. There was no marketing team. It was me running around doing these events. And we had to take this event offline. And I didn't have the gumption to do a two-day virtual summit. You know, everyone was doing virtual summits. Yeah. And I say this other thing is, don't do what everyone else is doing. Do something different. And I said, I can't do a two-day virtual summit. If something breaks, I, I, I have too much anxiety. Yeah. I'll,
1: I'll freaking Responsibility faint. Responsibility towards yeah. I'll, I'll faint.
0: So I reached out to like the 60 speakers or so that we had to cancel. And this was, I think, March or April, 2020. And I said, hey, how about this? We do a live podcast with you. Live, meaning I'll interview you once a week and we'll have the audience join. They're like, yeah, sure. Now that gave me almost 60 weeks of content. But very quickly, the word of mouth spread and we went from one a week to two live a week. Now the podcast is great, but what live does... Is more and more people started joining exactly. them live. They started interacting with the speaker, interacting with and one to another. The
1: generation algorithms love, like love lives, they're pushing it exactly. to the uh, wider audience.
0: Exactly. And back then, we were, YouTube live wasn't a thing. LinkedIn live wasn't a thing in 2020 as much. So we were doing these on Zoom, and yeah. we'd post the recording on YouTube, and the uh, the best of we'd post a podcast. Now, what would happen was I think when we entered the pandemic, we had 30,000 subscribers or so. But I never stopped. Like those small meetups that eventually became a big conference, never stopped. Kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. When we exited the pandemic, we had 120 or so thousand subscribers. Because it's compound interest, right? Like doing one big event is saying what? Buy my stuff, buy my stuff, come to this one conference. That's all your messaging. When you're doing two lives a week with a live audience, you're promoting each session only once. And it's new content. Today, you're talking about community. Tomorrow, you're talking about podcasting. Tomorrow, day after, you're talking about angel investing. It's a different topic. It's a fresh email. If you keep blasting people with the same message, come to my conference, they're going to eventually mark you as spam. Of but if it's a new message every time, it's a new invite. Hey, come to this event. I have this influencer. It's a live audience. You'll interact. So the same, same invitation structure we followed. And that bet played. Compound interest on consistency, doing it over and over. People would share it with friends, others would share with one another and the audience kept growing and growing now there was a small window of opportunity to do an in person event and i love in person events i tell you anytime you incorporate more than two senses and i talk about this in the book the science of senses you start to build stronger bonds stronger connections dubai is all about in person you can podcast and do virtual all you want but when you're in person yes we're not sound and sight we're taste touch smell you're bonding, you're kissing babies. You're... And you're
1: focused on people that you are with because you can listen to podcasts flying a plane or or, or exactly. riding a car, whatever. You know, like but but when you are an event, you are there. Exactly. You're physically there. Even though you can uh, serve the net a little bit, but you are there and you as yourself touch, smell, and and touch, smell, sound, you you're,
0: you're, you're bed. breaking bed. That's why Dubai has such a community vibe. Because eating together, especially like during Ramadan and stuff like that, is a huge thing. That's why there is a massive community vibe. I don't think people die of loneliness here. Like loneliness is the number one killer in America, right? I don't think that's a problem here because it's a community. And so we decide to do this in-person event. Now, see, all through this journey, I went in the last 20 minutes or so, the journey from slums to, you know, all these challenges... The one thing was constance in that wedding was called off every other day. I would tell my wife I'm retiring at forty. Okay, and this is this is hilarious because she's paying the bills. I'm I did two startups in that time that failed. Did an events company with a co-founder ran away with all the money. Had to sue him, and after paying lawyer fees. I walked away, it felt like a bag of chips because the, the, the pace at which in installments it reached <laughs> it didn't yeah. make any difference. So I would keep saying, you know, because it's stress, right? She's an ER doc. I'm working on the business. It's all belief in her that I'll someday make money. How do you have the belief when three things have failed? And she's like, I'm paying the bills, I'm paying the bills. And so it's always like, listen, I'm going to retire at 40. Trust me, trust me. Now July hits of 2020. And we've taken everything online. And there's some stressful thing happens. It's like we're doing this in-person event. Um, and I tell her, listen, don't worry. I'm going to retire at 40. She's like, Lloyd, like, it's time you give up this joke. Because you're turning 40 in like three months. Unless like freaking some miracle happens here. I don't think you're retiring at 40. So you better start contributing in other ways at the house, right? Yeah. I can't keep like paying the bills and running the family and taking care of the kids. But, you know, the life of the entrepreneur doesn't start at nine and end at five. It's nonstop, right? And so we do this in-person event. Luck would have it. You know, I talked about the fund follow frequent framework. Through that, who do they fund? We've partnered with somebody who invited this growth equity firm out of New York. They love the event so much. They're like, who runs this event? Because we didn't call our events boast. We call it traction. Mm -hmm. We called it traction because it was tied to the aspiration of our customers, not to our product. Yeah. It was a community of practice for, for them. It would be selfish to call it the Boast community because we're helping our customers become successful beyond the product. And so they didn't know who was running it. So they called me and they're like, hey, would you like to become a venture partner, join our venture partner network? We'll give you carry in the deals you pass us. And I'm like, listen, guys, I have a big business to run. And it's stressful already because we're bootstrapped and we're all stretched too thin. So I can't pass you a deal flow in exchange for carry. This community stuff I do on the side. They're like, what is your business? So I explained to them and they're like, what? You're selling $100 bills for $20? They're like, what does your marketing look like? I'm like, we have no marketing team. These events are marketing. It actually makes us money. It breaks even. How many people are you? I said, 30-ish people. What is the revenue? I'm like, we just crossed five and maybe this year looks like we'll hit 10. The next question was, can we invest? They're like, what is your gross margin? So 80%. Can we invest? I'm like, listen, I knew Alex. He was against investors because we, we know so many founders, right? And if I look back and reflect, I've only ever before Boast worked at startups or done my own startups. And they've all failed. And the majority of them were venture-backed. 99% of the startups fail. right? Yeah. And, and the reality of that equation is because VCs raise money from institutional LPs, And they got to provide an outsized return. If I'm an institutional LP, why would I give you money if I can't put it on the S&P 500 and make 10% over a 10-year period? That means you have to give me an outsized return. And so if there's that expectation, then the VC is going to push you to grow triple, triple, double, 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 right? And so all those companies that failed, so I knew 99% of the startups fail. But nonetheless, I even talked to my wife and my wife's like, Lloyd, you have only worked at failed companies. I'm tired. If you go and raise this VC money, Silicon Valley unicorn porn, <laughs> yeah. and it fails trying to build somebody else's zero-sum game, you got to get a job this time. Like, I can't keep doing this. You got a job at like Salesforce, or Oracle, some stable yeah. company. Like, your journey as an entrepreneur is over. So I told them this, and they're like, listen, we're not a traditional VC firm. I'm like, what are you, private equity? They're like, no, we're growth equity. I'm like, what the hell is that? I've been around startups for a long time they like, we invest in companies that are largely bootstrapped with a clean cap table and are growing capital efficiently, high gross margins, high revenue, like north of 5 million, touching 10. And when we invest, what we do is the money goes to liquidate the founders because they've been running hard bootstrap for a long time. So they can de-risk in the short term and you can have enough upside to play the long game. I'm like, what? This, this, this,
1: this is <laughs> retirement.
0: Is, is this real? And I I am the guy who's always bouncing off the walls, right? And Alex is the voice of reason. And and here's another learning for you guys. Every startup needs to have those two roles. A founder who injects new risk in the business because pain is the precondition for growth. And new risk that you overcome helps you grow. But you also need a founder who stabilizes the business. Otherwise, you'll be boomer bust. So Alex was the voice of reason. He did some DD and he's like, these are legit. I kid you not, they signed the term sheet. And and just a week before, my wife said, how is this retire 40 going to ever happen? <laughs> and now they signed the term sheet. Now, a hundred things went wrong in the term sheet. Because when you're bootstrapped, everything, you don't have the systems. I don't have Salesforce.com. It's Excel. That 30-day close ended up being a three-day, three-month close. But I kid you not, man. The week of my 40th birthday, the wire hit the account. And... Man, my, I think my wife had tears. My mom had tears because I told them this story for 10 years. I will retire at 40. They lost it. They're like, how the hell this happened? But what happened after that was a tale of misery, right? Oftentimes you think you chase society's definition of success. My mother-in-law's definition is society's definition of success. What is that? Money. Money, fame, and power of fleeting. Manifestation. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. It's fleeting. The only thing that matters is your relationships, your family, your health. And I didn't realize I had destroyed my health so badly, just running, running, running. And you know what happens when these runners, they stop at the finish line and they just faint. We had booked a trip to Bora Bora because I'd not spent any time with the family. I said, I'll take everyone to Bora Bora when this deal goes through. Literally, the money hits the bank. We make the press release. We roll into Christmas. We book the Bora Bora trip. Two days before the Bora Bora trip, I get COVID, I'm hospitalized. Now it's Omicron. And my wife's not allowed in the, in the hospital room, even though she's a doctor in the same okay. hospital. Nobody's allowed. People are walking in the room in spacesuits. They have a 24-7 Zoom setup. I had bilateral COVID pneumonia. Both my lungs were shot. My okay. immune system was done. And I'm sitting there and thinking, man, what have I done? I chased and chased and chased to prove somebody else wrong, to prove the naysayers wrong. I have all this money. If I die, what is the point? What is the point? I haven't spent any time with my kids. They barely know me. And I promised that I would come out and change and spend more time with them. Old habits die hard. Came out from the hospital. Of course, the investors freaked out. We just liquidated this guy, and he's going to tap out. <laughs> I come out. We were 30, 30-ish peop, 30, 35-ish people back then, hitting 10 million. Next thing I know, in the months that followed, I don't even know what i do in the company. We brought in a CMO from a big company. We brought a CTO from a $10 billion company. We were pirates. All of a sudden, we have Navy come in. And the company added, in rapid succession, six, seven months, almost a hundred people and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm dealing with this, you know, taking steroids, dealing with the the pain. I don't even know what I do in the company anymore. August rolls around. My eight-year-old daughter at the time, she comes to me and says, dad. I remember that. Right. She's like, dad, you've gotten worse. What's going on? And I said, man, we got to make the people we hired whole. I don't even know what I do in this company, but, you know, people put their faith in us. And she said, why don't you work for somebody who thinks like that so I can have my dad back? Of course, you feel bad in the moment. All habits die very hard. A few weeks later, I'm an offsite in Austin. My phone is down like it always is during meetings. I pick up. There's 20 missed calls now. And it's my wife's best friend. She's like, you're an asshole. You always do this. This is the third time you're doing this. Your wife's in labor and there's no sight of you. You're not even in town. Where are you? So I said, I'm in Austin. I'll take the next flight. The next flight is next morning. I flew and maybe within an hour or two, my third kid was born, but I, it, I would have missed it. Now I'm like under a lot of stress. I go into a board meeting and I'm like pissing hot. I tell the board, listen, these big company execs are not going to work out. You got to fire all of them. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we did a lot of effort in breaking up your roles and, and like putting the company to a point of scale. And you're saying fire them. They're like, listen, you're going through a lot of stress. Why don't you take a paternity leave and we'll figure out the right thing. You have the board seat anyway. You're on the board. We got two boards. Yeah, I'm still on the board. Relax, enjoy the money you made, right? Take six months, spend time with the family, kids you haven't. I didn't take that as a good sign. When you tell a founder to take a paternity leave who sacrificed his whole life for the business. Push him aside, yeah. So this I go home. You, what you thought? That's what I thought. I lost it. I went home. I literally hugged my wife for ten minutes and I cried, man. I'll never forget that day. And I said, "I'm really sorry for all the times you needed me, and I wasn't there. I put the company first. Today they don't need me, and you're the only person standing." Now I, I think most sane people who came into some money would be like, "Forget this. I'm on the board. Me yeah. and my co-founder own forty percent of the company. I'll chill. I'll party." You know, I'll, I'll, I'll have a good life. What did I do? I ended up depressed. I hit rock bottom. I face planted. And I started acting crazy, drinking, smoking, traveling from place to place to place to place, running around, trying to meet random people. I would call friends and be like, you know, I came into some money. I'm like, I'll fly you here. I'll fly you there. Invested in a bunch of random startups. I think 18 startups. So everything, everything tanks. <laughs> so I went crazy. Like, you know, these rappers who suddenly come into, into some money. And I think things got to a head where I was speaking at the Texelvania conference in Romania. Now, after the conference, they had a speaker retreat a few hours from the Bucharest airport, three and a half hours. And we're in the wilderness, two in the morning. I'm asking, can you call me a car? Can you call me a car? Can you call me a They're like, you're not going to get any car here at this hour. What are you trying to do? So I hit the Uber, you know, and it says searching, 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 oh searching. God. So I called the Uber, searching, 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 searching. I left it on. In 20, 30 minutes, it goes, ding, somebody's on the way. The Uber shows up. I'm like, I was just waiting for you to be here. I go to the room, pack my bags. On the laptop, I book a flight to Costa Rica and I tell all the speakers, guys, I'm heading to Costa Rica. I have some friends and uh, I got to go. And I went to Costa Rica from Romania, literally in like one hour notice. That's how crazy I became. I hit rock bottom. And as I tried to reflect, I realized that all my life, I had no money. And I was happy because I had the community. When I left the day-to-day of a community-led company like Boast, which we built on the love of community, every year when we didn't have money, we would do an offsite in Cabo, Costa Rica, Hawaii. Every year we would do a big annual conference, lots of events, meetups. When I left the day-to-day, I felt I lost my tribe. I felt I lost my community. And I felt like I needed to go and meet people individually and try to like hold on to them. I, that's how depressed I got. And I came back from there And my wife looked at me and she's like, Lloyd, look at you. You become overweight, you're drunk, um, you're insufferable. She's like, I don't understand you. You choose to mope when the whole world would love to be in your situation. You have the option to do anything, go anywhere. But you're moping here and you got a second chance after COVID, you might not get a third chance. And if something happens to you, your family is going to be, your kids are going to be left holding the bag. Do you want this? And man, I think that hit me. That was a realization. I had a Peloton bike sitting on the side of the room. It was full of clothes. I hop on it. The instructor comes on. And you talked about bringing your vulnerable self, right? It's very important to build connection. I hop on and this instructor is like, listen, I don't feel as strong. I'm riding after like several months. I just came off maternity leave. I, I'm weak. Bear with me. And then she yells out, self-pity is toxic. You don't need that shit. One crank, one shift, one ride around the block. Repeat after me. I am, I can. And Eye of the Tiger from Rocky was playing. dang. So I felt so connected to her. I felt jolted that one ride turned into two into four. And it became a ritual for me. My wife's words, the glass is half full. So I wake up now thinking what good happened the night before. Bang out as many push-ups to Eye of the Tiger. Start um, pelotoning. We end up moving to Dubai because I said last time, Dubai is a land of convenience. We traveled all over the world. We wanted to explore a place where people think about work and life differently, right? In the US, we live to work. That's the society's definition of success. And here, people work to live. Exactly. And this changed my life. And I said, I came upon all this free time. I think it's time to write that book that I wanted to gift my mom someday. And I naturally fell into community. Man, all my life, when I had nothing, I was happy. When I came into millions, I was depressed because I felt lonely. I felt my community left me. And it's a very long-winded way, but through that, I, I described the journey and some of the book. And so I went on this quest, interviewed a thousand people or so over the last uh, couple years, rewatched all our content, looked at every single iconic brand. And I said, I will distill these learnings into 13 rules to build iconic brands with the power of community. And the message I think coming from me is important because I built an AI company with no marketing, with no AI, with the power of community. But forget about me. We're not a massive multi-billion dollar company. Look at OpenAI. We're talking about ChatGPT. OpenAI wouldn't exist without the community. We were members of OpenAI since 2019. They have all of the community's data. That's how they could build the product. Without the community, there is no OpenAI. AI. And we often latch onto technology, right? But if you see in the 2000s, we said dot-com company. Then we said social company. Then we said mobile company. Then we said fintech company. Then we said now AI company. We'll stop saying these things. We won't say it anymore. Yesterday's innovation always becomes tomorrow's commodity. If you go back to the innovation of the 80s, what was the innovation? Electronics. Yeah. Then electronics got commoditized when the Japanese manufacturers came in. Harley-Davidson, and that's my gear today, right? Yeah. My, book, my book starts <laughs> with Harley-Davidson. They almost went bankrupt in the 80s. The management came out and said, let's rebuild the company on the ethos of community. It's not a marketing strategy. It's a company strategy. The president of Harley had oversight. Leaders were forced, or not forced, but required to go out and create writing clubs Company leaders became riders, riders became employees. They created this ritual of weekend warriors going out and riding together on the camaraderie and brotherhood of, of riding, the joys of riding. Then they started creating impact by donating to causes like breast cancer, autism. That incident, that community, not only rescued Harley, but today's a Harley Today, Harley is an iconic brand, right? You can recognize a Harley fan no matter where you are by what they're wearing. I went to College Times the other day to speak on stage and I, and I dressed like this and they're like, where's your bike? <laughs> which tells you, right? Which tells you that yesterday's innovation will always become tomorrow's commodity, but if you build a community, you won't become a commodity. Brands of yesterday were built on what they told the world about themselves and brands of the future will be built on what the people the community says about them.
1: This is a well-rounded story about the book. It's the base. It's from, it was the story about from the grassroots to the greatness of this book because, as you said, you're campaigning for Wall Sale Journal uh, bestseller, is it? Uh, but you also told me something before we started talking about the book. What's next? And you said, I should start... Podcast and community based on the book, and this is the chapter. Like you didn't know what this uh, uh, community gathering, meet up with ten people or five people in the room will bring. You're not sure now.
0: I'm not Do, are, sure. Are, now. You, are you
1: more certain what it what will bring I'm, if you create a community?
0: I'm I'm never certain. Right, that's the thing. Like you know most things look like great frameworks and thought-out strategies, it never plays out that way. I always went with the flow. Go with the communities, go where your customers are, go where your people are, and and go with the flow. I never knew when we were doing those 10-person meetups that it would become a 120,000-subscriber community called Traction, and you have these big-name speakers wanting to come on it, Right. I don't know with this book. Um, What's really interesting is this book was just called Community-Led Growth. My brother who lives in Dubai, he's a brand designer and a partner at a brand design agency, and he's won awards at cons. And he kept wanting to insert himself in the book, and the design was really ugly, and he said, I'm going to prove to you the saying, never judge a book by its cover, is wrong, right? And he took it upon himself to name the book and design the book. And you can see the interiors also. They're, they're very beautifully Colorful, designed. Colorful, yeah. It's a, it's a full color. It's like a coffee table book, right? And, uh, and that's the Harley yeah. image. And I'm like, man, like I fought him, I fought him, I fought him. And you know where the saying goes. First they ignore you, then they call the, you crazy, then they fight you, and then you win. That was yeah. my, my equation with him. And then I dragged my feet because I've been a very poor reader growing up and reading and writing was not something i enjoyed a lot so i had to drag my feet probably most people would take 6 7 months to write it it took me 2 years and but when this design came together man my passion went from 0 to 100 like i actually saw it manifested in real like he basically took my vision and turned it into my vibe and i'm like now i got to run now this makes the wall street journal campaign real it makes the book real it makes everything real. I started dressing like this, like a Harley biker. And that's that's what, I guess, design does for you, right? Everything we are in the world is design. Everything we experience is design. Look at the vibe here, right, in your podcast studio. It's beautiful. Like, I want to sit here and talk for hours. That's how beautiful <laughs> it is. And in the book, I also talk about designing unforgettable experiences for your audiences as well. So I think I didn't realize this, but design is is everything, <laughs> No, uh, definitely.
1: One thing is for sure. Everything needs to start somewhere. This is, I would say, the book should be the new start for lost people or people who do not understand their purpose. Because, as you said, everybody manifesting their success as money success. But it is basically who you literally are, where do you feel the best, and first of all, your 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 base community, your family, and and then second of all, the community with people you share this world with. And if the universe started with a big bang, you know, releasing the the, the, the enormous amount of energy into nothing, you know, I think this book uh, could be an amazing start. A big bang, the energy to create new communities yes you will create a community based on this starting with podcast with one by one one by one five ten twenty fifty people but this will spark the people to think community to think that they are not wrong if they spend and or waste time as somebody would see with people because this is our only purpose and you know this TED Talk that is very, very popular. One of the most, if not the most popular uh, TED Talk ever is about the study of the Harvard University, which which went for 70 years. Wow. And the conclusion of the... What is, and and the, the question was why? What, what's the purpose? The purpose, what's the purpose? And the conclusion of 70-year research of Harvard University was that the purpose is... How many meaningful relationships you have in your life. And the community puts light, put lights on, on, on this. And I think that uh, you, you cannot be more right. And I think the right moment is there. Because during the war, if it, if it was, God forbid, Third World War <laughs> or whatever, everybody would unite, you know, like, yeah. and, and so the, we are living in the beautiful world. Exactly. Relaxed world. Like like everything is fine. But then people are not united th- that much. But I think and I hope that, that as much people read this book to realize how the community, what, what the communities mean to each and every one of us.
0: Definitely. And I like the way you say relax. When you, when, when you say the word relaxed, even the last time, you go in this, in, <laughs> in this mode that even relaxes, <laughs> relaxes me. But, you know, when you look at the most enduring brands, and that's why I use this term, from Christ to CrossFit, which gives you a wide span, the most enduring ideas, they're based on human-to-human connection, not on technologies or products. Technologies that's come nice. and go. Until we live in a world where robots are buying from robots, The power of people working with people will exist in different shapes and forms and will be the only way to carry us forward. People don't realize this and that's what I wanted to inspire people is if you build a community-led business, you won't be lonely. They'll be your acquisition channel, your feedback source, and your biggest long-lasting moat and the most iconic brands have done this and how do you do it? I, because it was hard for me to write, I wrote it in stories, so it's relatable. And then I'll have a notion doc on from grassroots to greatness.com forward slash bonus, which will be all the academic style templates or step by step by step. How do I build an audience? How do I turn it into a community? How do I build a movement? And then how do I use lit rituals to turn it into a cult or <laughs> a, not in the bad sense, but yeah. in the
1: good sense? Uh, Lloyd, thank you very much uh, for being. I'm really honored and and uh, humbled uh, f- for you to be here. And uh, thank you very much for the note here, you know, so everybody can see. I had a big note from the uh, from the author, and uh, I really hope that uh, many people, thanks to, thanks to your book, pass this way from grassroots to greatness in a more efficient way, having a vision that not all the time you will know where you are going, but it's important how do you feel. Your why is
0: important, right? Because great companies are built on alignment around great purpose beyond your product or profits. If you want it to be a forever, your purpose needs to be more than the product or profits. And your self has to have that purpose exactly and that why exactly
1: thank you very much
0: thank you ivan thank you for letting me talk so much man like it, it, <laughs> no <laughs> that's not- no no
1: but we discussed we discussed just before this podcast i think that you have much more like 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 much more stories to tell and then that podcast is also when you are alone in the studio or you have someone around you but telling your stories and i think that people with your experience and your slams to uh, exit uh, uh, stories you know or your grassroots to greatness story stories can inspire and they will bring new stories community will bring new stories so i think and i really uh, uh chant for that 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 you start your own podcast where you talk and it can be a bite size, like a few minutes you know Every day, but you have to be there for your audience. You have to show up. I know. As you say, consistency, like Mr. Beast, 10 years, nobody was watching him. Nobody knew who Mr. Beast is, but he was religious to post the videos, post the videos, post the videos, and getting better and better and better.
0: Consistency on small actions lead to big outcomes, right? That that is one of the starting quotes on the the (laughs) book as well. Awesome, Ivan. Thank you so much. Thank you very
1: much. And I'm very proud that I had uh, Lloyd Lobo uh, a Future bestseller of Wall Street Journal uh, uh, magazine. Thank you very much, and uh, we continue this story. I think
0: definitely, and it was actually the pre-release was number two on business next to Elon Musk book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Thank you, amazing,
1: so much. amazing. Thank you, love.